Turn with me again to the book of Joshua and the chapter number 5. I want to read just verse 2 to you again, but of course uh, we will be considering these verses as they come to us and as the Lord has laid them before us. But Joshua chapter 5, let us read again the verse number 2. It says, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Let us bow together in prayer again, and we'll ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank thee already for thy presence with us. We thank thee for the joy it is to sing praise unto thee and to hear thy precious word read. And I pray now that as we come to the preaching of the word, thou, O God, would be pleased to bless it, that thou, O Father, would be pleased to speak And Lord, that thou would do thine own will and do thine own work. So undertake now for us, draw near to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know of any of you in the service this morning. I've ever heard on an event called the Miracle of Dunkirk that happened in World War II. This event happened in late May, early June of 1940 at Dunkirk Beaches and Harbour, which is in France. The British government at this time had, to, had decided to launch Operation Dynamo, which involved the evacuation of British troops as well as their Allied troops as well. It is estimated that about 338,000 men were evacuated on that day. It may surprise you to hear that some have said it was Adolf Hitler who did the most to make the escape possible. That is because the British and Allied troops seemed to be trapped. They were literally heading towards the coast of France, and if they were to turn their backs, they would have met the Germans and their army, and all that was in front of them was the sea, and it seemed to be there was no escape. We think of the children of Israel at that time, they stood at the Red Sea. They had only the sea in front of them and Pharaoh's army that was pursuing them. And this was a similar event when we think about it. And the British and Allied troops then were nowhere near the necessary ports. They were nowhere near anywhere whereby they could escape and get away with their lives. And so Operation Dynamo was launched. It was launched perhaps with the expectation that many would lose their own lives. And yet it was the Germans, as they were closing in on the 24th of May, had a standoff. Hitler had ordered the troops to stand down and to not proceed as they were pursuing their enemies. The reasons are not particularly clear, though it was said that there were concerns about German supplies and their vulnerability with regard to their flanks. And so this was an amazing event. It was an amazing time It was a time where so many were out of that situation and they left with their lives intact and they managed to get in safety. And so this delay here meant that it was all possible. Perhaps something that many historians won't want to consider is the fact that King George VI at this time had called for a week of prayer the day before the evacuation began. And so the churches up and down Britain had set themselves to pray 
for the troops. And they did not have much knowledge as to what was going on in Dunkirk at this time. And yet they set their hearts to the Lord and they prayed and they sought him around the throne of grace. And as I said already, there were many factors that enabled these men to escape. And this miracle of Dunkirk happened. And yet above it all was the sovereign hand of God. Above it all was the Lord intervening and answering the prayers of his people and doing these things according to his will. And so what do we see here? We see that God responded to prayer, yes. But we see a nation who took time to be holy. I'm sure you know the words of that hymn, Take Time to Be Holy. The world rushes on, spend much time in secret with Jesus alone, by looking to Jesus, like him thou shalt be, thy friends and thy conduct, his likeness shall see. And so there are many lessons that we can learn from that illustration, but there are many lessons we can learn from Joshua chapter 5 as well. Because here we see the nation of Israel, as they had crossed the Jordan, and as they had invaded the land of Canaan, what were they now doing in the first 12 verses of this chapter they were taking time to be holy now in verse 1 we want to read something that gives us interesting detail it says and it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that their heart melted Neither was their spirit in them any more because of the children of Israel. And so these kings had heard the Lord had dried up the Jordan. That event where the children of Israel were able to cross this great rushing river. And as they crossed it, it was very obvious that the Lord had performed a miracle in their midst. And the kings had heard, now finally, the Israelites are over the Jordan. They have passed over and it seems to be then that God is moving in their behalf. And so it seems to be with regard to the enemies of Israel at this time, their hearts were faint. They were not in a position to go to war at all. They couldn't even fight with the Israelites at this time. And so many would have said to the Israelite army, it's time to pursue. It's time to go on and to attack. They're weak, they're vulnerable, they're faint in heart. Go after them. It's time to go to battle. It's time to gather ourselves together while the enemy is weak. And what does the Lord want here? The Lord wants them to do something that seems to be contrary to all reason and contrary to all practice when it came to military operations. The Lord says, stand off, wait, and take time to be holy. And not only did he tell them take time to be holy, but he put the Israelite army in a very vulnerable position. Because all of the males were circumcised at that time. And we read in verse 8, And it came to pass, when they had done circumcising all the people, that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. And so there was this healing process that was taking place among the army. If the enemy had invaded Israel at this time, if they had gone into the midst of the people, they would have absolutely destroyed them. Israel was in no place to fight now as well. The men of war were not ready to go to battle. And yet the Lord said to them, instead of worrying about the battle, instead of worrying about Jericho at this time, it's time for you to come before me and take time to be holy. What a challenge this is for the people of God. 
In our personal lives, are we taking that time for the Lord? Are we taking that time to be holy? We set out every single day and we go to the battle, if you want to put it that way. We do our work and we want to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to live for him. We'll go into battle with Satan. We'll go into battle with the world. The flesh will try to take us the way of sin. We enter this battle every single day of our lives. And yet are we taking time for the Lord? Are we taking time to be holy? Are we taking time for his word? Are we taking time for prayer? Are we taking time for all of these things that are necessary for vibrant Christian living? And so as we come to Joshua chapter 5 this morning, we have this theme set before us, and I've repeated it constantly. And that's what I want to speak about this morning. This theme of Christians must take time to be holy. Christians must take time to be holy. And how do we take time to be holy? Well, the first way we can do, and of course, remember that this isn't exhaustive in Joshua chapter 5, but the first way we can take time to be holy is to reflect on our many failures. To reflect on our many failures. Failure in the Christian life can be very discouraging. It can hinder us as we dwell on it and as we think about it. Sometimes we come to the house of God, and maybe that's what you've came like this morning. We come to the house of God, and we remember this last week, and all of our many feelings, and how we have let the Lord down. And it's caused us to be discouraged. It's caused us to be faint at heart. It's caused us to be in a place where we feel we can't engage in the worship like we would want to. And yet the the Bible says that when we dwell on failure, this should lead us to confession. And it should lead us to a place where we have a greater sorrow and hatred for sin. That's why the Lord wants us to reflect on these feelings. He wants us to learn vital lessons. He wants us to learn those ways we can avoid sin. And those ways we can avoid being entrapped by Satan and by the flesh. And so when we come with failure to the Lord, he says to confess it to me. Learn in your life to weep over your sin and to hate it and to despise it and to want to be rid of it. And yet when we come to Joshua chapter 5, we see the failures of Israel are presented to us very openly. Notice here there was a generational failure. A generational failure. What I mean by that is this, these verses very clearly show us that there was failure in a past generation with regard to this nation. Verses 4 to 6 say, and this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they have not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land, which the Lord sware unto their fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And so we see as Israel had crossed the Jordan, as they were taking this time to be holy, one of the first things they did was to reinstitute circumcision. And it's very clear that this had not been received for a very long time. And this was a failure on their part because you consider Leviticus chapter 12 verse 3. And it says, And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And so circumcision was applied to a male eight days after they were born. 
And so Joshua 5, we learn the children had not been circumcised. We learn a generation had not done that which God had ordained should be done. The practice had not continued, and that is because the children of Israel in past time had not obeyed the Lord. They had been in a past time where they refused to enter into the land at an earlier opportunity. And so this nation, this generation of Christians or professing Christians would fall short of the fullness of God's blessing. And not only would they fall short of the fullness of God's blessing, they would receive God's judgment and they would receive God's hand against them. And so the Lord says they died in the wilderness. They received not the blessings that God had given for his people. Circumcision was a blessing. It was a constant reminder to the nation that God had entered into a covenant with his people and had promised to bless them and had promised to give them all of the fullness of the things that he had said. And yet this nation stands here in Gilgal. And as they stand in Gilgal, they're reminded very clearly that the generation before them, their parents, their grandparents, had failed them miserably. They should have already been long in the land. They should have been partaking of its fruits. They should have been resting where the Lord had told them to rest. They should have been long in the land. But they were failed by a generation before them that walked not with the Lord. And there is great teaching here for the children of God. Those who are a generation above any generation, those who are parents, those who are grandparents, those who have oversight, whether it's the Sunday school, the children's meeting, or in the youth fellowship. How we act in our walk with the Lord can have a profound effect upon those who look up to us. And so it's very important that we walk with the Lord before those who look to us, our children. It's very important that we not only talk about Christianity, but that we walk that walk where the Lord has laid it down in his word. And I say to you, brother or sister, if you are a parent, you are a grandparent, and you are a professing Christian, if you live a lawless life before your children, don't be surprised if they live a lawless life. How you speak to others, how you speak about others, how you treat others, all of this can shape and mold a generation to come. And so when we're living our lives before our children, we have to be ensured that we're living a life whereby they see us consistent whereby they see us walking with God in honesty and in fullness. And if we do not do that, when we're letting them down profoundly, and we're letting them see us live as hypocrites, and therefore, in our families and our own personal lives, we'll not know the fullness of the blessing of God and how that can have a profound effect upon them. Think of a verse, Proverbs 31, verse 28. It says, Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Now, the principle here I want you to get is this that we see a children looking to the generation above them. They look to the mother. And what do they say? She is blessed. She is blessed. That is, they bless God for her. 
They bless God for someone who is a godly example and someone who is clearly blessed by the Lord and by his power in their lives. John Gill has said, bless God, or rather these children, bless God for her, for such a mother, and wish themselves as happy as she is. And so a generation that looks up to us, do they say that person is blessed? Full of the Holy Ghost. Walking with the Lord. Showing me such a godly example. Our lives are not contradictions. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. I'm not saying I'm going to be perfect. But when children see sin in our lives, what should they see? They should see people who are willing to confess it. And to beg God for mercy. To see someone that loves the Lord wholeheartedly. And so this is a great challenge to all of us. As we go on and as generations go on, what generation are we? Are we a generation who are walking with God before those who look up to us? But also we see here there's a generational failure, but there's also a failure to go on. It says, for the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. We could say this was uh, the judgment of God upon them, of course. And we know the reason they did not walk with the Lord. They did not persevere in their profession of faith. And it's something that is essential in our Christian lives is that we persevere, that we go on with the Lord. And I know at times that's difficult. Circumstances come. Trials come. Discouragement comes. We begin to be slothful in our, our spiritual life and in our duties to the Lord. The devil so often comes and he tempts us sore and he accuses us. All of these things come to the Christian life and we've all faced them. Those things that hit us hard and make us sorrowful and even make us weep. Yet as the children of God, what does the Lord say? He says, you're going down this path. And he says, there are many things ahead of you that are going to be difficult. There are many things ahead of you that you probably do not want to face up to but the Lord says this is exactly the path I want you to walk on this is the way I'm going to take you and he tests you and he says I want to see if you'll walk with me even when I take you deep into the valley the children of Israel as they come to Canaan all those years before they saw a land with giants with fortified cities they saw numerous enemies and they were gripped by fear. And yet the Lord says, I want you to go into that land with all of the giants, with all of the fortified cities, with the numerous enemies. I want you to go right into that land and I want you to take it. And they failed to go on. The Lord comes to us in our Christian lives at times and he says, this is the way. And walk you in it. Are we going to be a people that say, Lord, I'll walk whatever way you want me to walk. I'll go whatever way you want me to go. Think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.14. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This has the thought of a race. A runner who is striving toward the finish line. Someone who is continuing to go on. And someone who is persevering. They have their eye on the prize. And their eye on the reward. There was once... Someone who took part in the Olympic Games in the year 2000 by the name of Eric Mosambana. He became a legend because he won a race whereby he had to swim in the slowest time in Olympic history. His backstory is absolutely 
extraordinary because eight months before the Olympics, he didn't even know how to swim. Not only did he not know how to swim, when he arrived at the Games, he saw an Olympic swimming pool for the very first time. And yet while he went into this race with no hope, perhaps with no expectation, he is the one who who won. And why did he win? Because he was the only one that finished the race. Everybody else gave up. Brethren and sisters, we are in the race. And yes, it can be difficult. And we can all be at different stages in our Christian experience and our experience in life. But the Lord says unto you, finish the race. Keep your eyes upon the prize. Keep your eyes upon Christ. Keep your eyes upon glory. Go on with me and walk in my ways. Two more things I want you to see, and I'll do this very quickly. The second thing, when it comes to Christians taking time to be holy, we must attend those things that God blesses. God in his word presents his people with so many things that he blesses in their lives. He shows us the means whereby we can be sanctified and where we can grow in our holiness and in our relationship with him. And so to neglect the things that God has given us is to neglect the Christian life and is to neglect and to miss out with God. It's important to emphasize this even in our own day. I think it's fair to say that you'll go to so many churches and they will offer you entertainment. Or they'll offer you something that's a a little bit different than what you get. And you see, what they do is they look for ways to get people to attend the services. And then when they get people to attend the services, they they try to find innovative ways to to get people to to stay in the services once they attend. And so the elements of worship in their services and their church life are simply not those things that God has commanded to take place in church life. And yes, people will be entertained. They'll leave the service and they'll feel good. And they'll feel right. And they'll feel like they can't wait to get out into the world and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll have this buzz about them. They'll go out and out for God. It will bring an enthusiasm to their lives. But I say, like most things that are worldly and are of the flesh, these things will not last. Like anything else that is temporary, it will give a a temporary feeling, a temporary fix. And therefore the person will need a a top-up, if you want to put it that way. And they'll go back again and they'll get the buzz and they'll get the atmosphere and they'll get the entertainment and they'll get all of these things. Sooner or later it dies down and they'll need something else then. Something more innovative. Something to to keep them going along. And they'll do one of two things. Either they'll seek that or they'll leave altogether. And here's the problem. Entertainment does not produce holiness. Entertainment is not what God has ordained. Entertainment does not lead to true communion and worship of God. And God only blesses those things that he has ordained. Yes, you can speak about the Lord Jesus Christ in entertainment. You can do all of these things and you can say, well, surely that's good. And yet, this is not what God has ordained. And so when you go to the things that God has ordained, he will bring Christ to you. And he will bring you to Christ and he will make you more holy and he will work in your life. And yet through entertainment, you speak about Christ, but it will never take you to Christ. And it will never bring Christ to you. So we must, in our minds, get this 
sort it and say we must have only those things that God ordains and what God blesses and those things that will take us to Christ. Now what did Israel do in verses 10 to 11? It says, And the children of Israel encamped in Galgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn on the selfsame day. We know very well the story of the Passover. It happens in the book of Exodus. On the 14th day, the children of Israel were to kill a lamb and they were to feast on it as well. And this here reminded them of the great redemptive act that God worked on their behalf. You think of the time they came out of Egypt, there was the the Passover feast where the lamb was slain and sacrificed. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And so the, the clear reality is set before us that the Passover pointed to Christ. That's exactly what it did. It took them to the Lord Jesus and it brought Christ and type and shadow to them. It was a thing that God ordained and it was a thing then that God blessed. Rhett Dodson, a man who writes a commentary on the book of Joshua, said, Our celebration of the Lord's Supper is simultaneously a memorial of what God has done for us in his death and resurrection of Je- in the death of, and resurrection of Jesus and an anticipation of the day of Jesus' return. And so what I'm saying here is that when we come to the New Testament era, we do not have circumcision, we do not have the Passover, but we have many wonderful blessings. We have the Word of God. We have prayer. We have the Lord's Supper. We have baptism. We have all of these things that God has ordained to bless us, and whereby He promises us that through these things He will bring Christ to us. And he will change us, and he will transform us, and he will make us more holy. Brother and sister, have you been attending these things faithfully? Have you been getting to the places that God has ordained in order for you to be more holy, and in order for you to get your eyes upon Christ? I think these are wonderful times of reflection where we reflect and we say to ourselves, we haven't been as faithful as we used to be or as we should be. Let the Lord speak to us today. And as we examine ourselves, if it hasn't been good enough, well, today's the day. Let's get back to those things that God blesses. Let's be more consistent in them. Let us ask the Lord to take us, to turn our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory and in all of his mercy, and in all of his goodness. That's not only important in the church life, it's important in daily life. Before we step out, it would be a, a foolish thing to step out into the world without having met with Christ, without having got to the word, and having got to prayer, and have gotten to these things that God has promised you he will bless. So I say, let this challenge you. Let's attend the means of grace as we should. Let us rededicate ourselves to them. Let us commit ourselves to them in the face of so many things that would seek to lure us away from them. One more thing to finish off this morning that you see here. When it comes to taking time to be holy, we must take time to rest. The children of Israel were taking a time to rest. This was a period of rest that they were taking And as I said earlier, they they were not just immediately just crossing the border and getting into the land and getting the swords out ready to go to war. The Lord says to them, take time to rest. 
take time to worship and take time to be holy. And the, the present principle here is that the Lord is showing us that rest for the Christian with regard to their soul is good for them. And the way the Lord presents our week in the New Testament era is exactly a picture of this uh, when we think about it. Because we have the Sabbath rest the first day of the week. And then we have the rest of the week in order to fulfill those duties and those responsibilities that we have in this world. Revelation 1.10, we think of what John says. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And so John was thinking about the Lord's day, the first day of the week. And of course, we know the Bible presents it very clearly to us that there is a Sabbath for the people of God. There is a rest for them. There, there, there is a day whereby the Lord calls them aside and he says to them, rest in your soul from all of the things of this world. And brethren and sisters, when we observe the Sabbath as it should be observed, when we do those things that God has told us to do, to worship his name, to attend his house, when we do those things that will prepare us well for the week ahead. Isaiah 58, 13 to 14, and I've preached in these verses, I'm not sure, maybe I've preached them here, but it says, If thou turn away thy fruit from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honourable, and shalt honour him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And what God is saying to us here, when we set ourselves aside, and we forget about the hobbies and the interests, we forget about the workplace, and I'm not speaking of those that have the work. There are those that have the work out of mercy and necessity. But we forget about all of these things when we, we lay them aside and we set ourselves aside to the Lord and we worship his name. And we speak his words and we delight in the Lord. And he will bless us. You say to me this morning, I, I'm not living the way I should live. I'm not doing the things I should be doing. I'm struggling in my Christian life. Could it be it started here? This is where the, the beginning of this departure from the Lord started. That was the Sabbath day. And if we will not keep the Sabbath day holy, we can never hope to be blessed. Never. We can never hope to win to Monday morning and ask the Lord to bless us. When we constantly and consistently feel him and this command that he has given. Again, another Olympic illustration. There was a, a man by the name of Eric Lytle. And he was part of the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. Lytle had a, a great preference to run in the 100 meter race. And probably had many prospects to win gold. But when he found out that this race was to be held on the Sabbath day, then he refused to run. Instead, he ran on the weekday in the 400-meter race. A race that he won and a race that got him Olympic gold. But his devotion to God, his love for the Lord and his day was more than his love for gold and love for anything else. And he then would keep the Sabbath day as the Lord had told him to. And therefore, brethren and sisters, let us get a vision again for the Sabbath, this day of rest. This is a day that foretastes the life to come. 
We will rest forever. We will worship God forever. We will praise his name. Someone said it, and it's true, if we struggle to worship God today, well, how are we going to manage eternity? How are we going to cope? If this isn't a delight to us, then something is very badly wrong. But let's take time to be holy. Let's take time to rest. Let's take time to have the Lord strengthen us in our souls to go out this week, to worship him, to serve him, and to live those lives that are glorifying to his name. Take time to be holy, brother or sister. Take time for the Lord. May he even bless us all. Bless our walks with him in the days to come. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. just want to sing one verse of a, of a closing hymn. Hymn number 413. And 413, found the page 343 of your hymn book again. This hymn is what we've been preaching, and I just thought it would be nice to sing it and to bring it to our hearts. We'll sing those first two verses, and we'll stand as we sing unto the Lord. Father and our God in heaven, I pray that thou would impart the truths of thy word into our hearts, that thou would bring them to us in a real and a powerful way. Thou would bless thy children today, help them in their walks with thee, help them, O God, to be continually transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that thou would bless us now, that thou would part us with thy fear and with thy mercy. I ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.